You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. Before we take a look at our Scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stop by our website, which is DesireJesus.com, and on our website you'll find links to our bookstore, links to both of our podcasts, our blog, and a link where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a newsletter with a word of encouragement and some content to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to receive that each week in your inbox, it's free. All you need to do is just sign up on the website, desirejesus.com. You'll see the newsletter tab. Just click it, and we'll be happy to add you to the email list. Now let's take a look at today's scripture. So we've been working our way through the book of Romans for uh, quite a few months now. We actually began this study, I don't know if you're keeping track of when we started it, but we actually began this study back in the month of September. And uh, now we're, we're coming right to the end section here. So we're in chapter 15, chapter 16. Today we're starting chapter 15, and we'll be looking at the first 13 verses of the chapter. And you'll notice as we look at this chapter that the Scripture talks about harmony, that this is one of the things that's emphasized here in this passage of Scripture, harmony. And as we look at this, one of the questions we're going to attempt to ask is, what is the key to living in harmony? So if you would take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 15, and we'll start with verse 1. Romans 15, verse 1, this is what it states. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that you've given us today to be able to look at your word together. We're grateful that we're able to read it. We're grateful that by your grace we're able to understand it. And uh, we're grateful, Lord, that, that as we read these things, we recognize that we're hearing your voice and you're giving us instruction into things that, naturally speaking, we would not have been aware of. So, Lord, we pray that you'd clear our hearts and clear our minds 
and help us to understand your truth and help us to walk in it today. We thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as much as you may like other people, and I certainly hope that you do like other people, but as much as you like other people, one of the most difficult aspects of life is getting along with all the different people that the Lord chooses to bring into your life. And when you think about the different cast of characters that throughout the course of your life have been part of your story, I'm sure that it's probably an eclectic group of people, people with all sorts of personalities, people with all sorts of preferences, people that you found very easy to get along with, and probably people that you found quite challenging to get along with. And if you serve in a people-centered vocation... So if your job requires you to work with people day in and day out, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it can be challenging to get along with all kinds of people. Uh, Earlier this past week, uh, we had the chance for Memorial Day to be able to get together with uh, some longstanding friends. And for the past 20 years or so, our families have made a habit of getting together on Memorial Day. And my friend's daughter is now uh, working as a server in a restaurant that's really close to their house. And so I was talking to her about what that experience was like. And as you can imagine, it's been quite a challenge for her and certainly a stretching experience for her to be able to work with all kinds of different people and serve all sorts of different people that have different preferences and different wants and to meet those needs and to maintain a smile on her face while she's doing that as a server at that restaurant. And so I was hearing about that. Sounds like she's navigating it well, but I think we could probably all um, identify with what her experience is like. And it wouldn't surprise me if, as you're thinking about these things, and as you're kind of digging into the nature of some of the relationships that you have with people, that there may be a few people in your life that you have chosen not to interact with too much, right? People that you've, you've said, all right, I'll interact with them some, but not too much because they're kind of challenging to interact with, and I know it's easier for me to keep the peace if we just maybe interact in passing, if we just kind of interact a little bit, if we just see each other on this holiday or that holiday or whatever it may be. Uh, Keeping the peace, living in harmony with others, even our brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way, that can be a very challenging task. And in the end, ultimately, it's something that requires us to depend on the Lord's power to actually accomplish. And so I say all of that because when you look at this portion of Scripture that I just read from Romans chapter 15, you have the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church at Rome. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul was grateful for the church at Rome. I'm sure that he was grateful for these people. I'm sure that he rejoiced in their growth because you had people coming from a spot where they didn't believe in Christ to now they did believe in Christ and they were growing in their walk with Christ. But he was also concerned for their ongoing development as followers of Christ, their ongoing spiritual development, their ongoing well-being, and how they would learn to get along with one another relationally, because he knew that since their backgrounds were so diverse and so different, he knew that was going to be an ongoing challenge, and it might even produce some division that would hurt the church long-term if they didn't learn to love each other, to appreciate one another, to work together, to to live in harmony, as he's stressing here in this portion of Scripture. So what advice did the Holy Spirit give the Apostle Paul to give the church about what the nature of harmony looks like 
in the body of Christ. What are some of the things that we saw in the portion of Scripture related to that harmony that we just read? Well, look at one of the things that's mentioned to us in the first few verses. There it talks about this idea that if we're going to live in harmony with one another, one of the things that we need to be prepared to do is to bear with the failings of the weak. And by the way, whenever anyone reads that in the Scripture, isn't it interesting how we always think about somebody else? Right? We, yeah, that's true. We do have to bear with the failings of the weak. And we always think the weak is someone other than us, right? And, and little do we know that someone else is saying, yeah, I do have to bear with John's failings. You know, I do have to bear with the failings of the weak. Look at what it says in verses 1 through 3. I think it's a very interesting way to start this chapter. But it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Now, no one said anything to me about this, and I I could ask my sons afterward if anyone said anything to them uh, about this today. But uh, as, as I walked into the building today, as, as my sons walked into the building, I'm sure that some of you probably noticed that our shirts are fitting a little bit better and uh, we seem a little bit stronger. I'm certain, right? I mean, you don't have to tell me directly. I'll just believe that that's probably something you noticed about our family, that we all seem um, like we're really paying attention to ourselves now. And I'll tell you what's going on behind the scenes. My sons and I uh, decided that for the, this coming month, for the next 30 days, every single day, without exception, no one's allowed to make an excuse. We're kind of challenging each other to do this. We've challenged each other to do 100 push-ups every day. No excuses. 100 push-ups every day all throughout the month of June. Now, you don't have to do them all in one shot. I don't know if any of us could do them all in one shot. I, we did try and find the record, uh, and my record was 54. I was able to do 54 in one shot, and then after that, I felt like my arms were totally dead. <laughs> uh, but throughout the course of the month, we're going to do that. So I think most of us took the same approach where we did it in four chunks of 25 push-ups. So it's like 25. First segment, no sweat. Second segment of 25, no sweat. Third one, you really start feeling it. Fourth one, you can't wait for it to be over. And all of us kind of had that same experience. But the idea is, ideally, after doing that for a month, hopefully we will feel stronger. Hopefully we will feel fitter. At the end of this month, you know, maybe it'll actually be true that you'll, you'll say, hey, uh, looks like you're paying a little bit better attention to yourself. Looks like you're a little, a little stronger than you were a month ago. I, I'm going to be optimistic. I think, that, I think you'll say that. I think you'll feel that way. Now, think about this on a deeper level when we're talking about this idea of growing in strength. Over the course of your life, and I know that no matter how old you are in this room, whether the, you're the youngest person in this room or the oldest person in this room, that you're, you'll be able to um, identify with the statement I'm about to make. But over the course of your life, you're going to experience trials. There are things that are going to come your way that are very much in the category of trials, and you're going to learn things in the midst of those trials that start to deepen your understanding of all sorts of things. I think in the midst of our trials, we find that our faith is stretched, which is a good thing. That is a good thing. That is a good byproduct of a trial. But as it's stretched, what happens to our faith? As my faith is stretched, as your faith is stretched, what happens to it? it becomes stronger. 
A faith that's stretched, a faith that's used, a faith that's tested becomes stronger. And what happens is, as we walk through difficult seasons throughout the course of our lives, with the help of Christ, we start to realize that He can be relied on. And He makes us strong with the kind of strength that only He can provide. And He does that through these difficult experiences as we learn to trust Him, as we learn to rely on Him, as we learn that He truly is sufficient for all the things that He promises that He is sufficient for. And now as we become spiritually strong, like Scripture encourages us to become, we're going to interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are at a different season of their walk with Christ. They're going to be somewhere on that journey with Christ that's different from where you are on that journey. So they may be many years earlier in that journey than you're at presently. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for many years now, and your faith has developed a strength that comes from being tested and tried over decades, that right now they're at a spot where their faith is as strong as faith gets when you've been tested for weeks or months. And there's going to be a little bit of a difference there. And as you interact with people that are at a different season of their walk with Christ, when you look at what this Scripture is encouraging us to do, I think one of the things it's telling us to be mindful of is don't forget that you were once where they are right now. Don't forget that the spot in the journey that they're on, or that they're at right now, is a spot that you were once at, at a different season of your life. And if the Lord has taken all this time and all this effort over the course of years, and maybe even over the course of decades, to make you strong, right? If He's been making you strong, if He's developed your faith, if He's stretched you in healthy ways, and He's been making you strong and investing in you over decades, honor His investment in how you patiently bear with the failings of those who are presently weaker. Honor His investment by bearing with the failings of those who are presently weaker. Yes, you may at times be hurt by their failings. Yes, you may be inconvenienced or even embarrassed by their failings, but that's not an excuse to abandon them. Rather, what the Scripture is encouraging us to do is to be people who, who understand that, that it's our goal to please them and to build them up because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. It's exactly what He did for you and for me. He looked after our needs. He built us up when we were in a spot of weakness, when we were at a spot maybe of spiritual immaturity, when our faith wasn't yet stretched enough through enough life seasons or enough trials. He invested in us. He built us up. Romans 15.3, which we read just a moment ago, it speaks of what Jesus did for us. And if you look at what it says there, it says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So we're being told to bear with the failings of the weak, and then giving us an example of what this looks like from a Christ-centered perspective, we're told here the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What's that verse trying to tell us? What's being illustrated here? What has mankind done to God the Father? Mankind, we have, we have reproached God the Father. We have spoke ill of Him. And here we're being told that this reproach that we have directed toward God, that these words have now fallen upon the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so in part what the Scripture is telling us is that Jesus came to this earth to put up with the effects of problems that He did not cause. 
we sinned, and he bore, our, or he bore the consequences for our sin upon himself. So he's putting up with, with issues and problems and consequences that he did not cause. And here he's doing this to glorify the Father, to build you and I up, to develop our faith in him. So if Jesus can do that for you and for me, is it too much of him to expect us to bear with one another's failings as well? Meaning, if Christ is willing to bear with my failings, would it not be hypocritical of me not to be willing to bear with the failings of somebody else? And so when the Scripture encourages us as people are trying to live in harmony, saying part of this harmony involves bearing with the failings of the weak, because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. He bore with the failings of the weak, us, me, you, the weak. He bore with our failings, and He says, go and do likewise. Copy what I've done for you. Show that kind of blessing to those that I bring into your life that have the capacity to test you in real ways. Something else that the Scripture points out to us when we talk about this idea of living in harmony as brothers and sisters in Christ is it talks about hope. And I believe it's telling us here to let the Scriptures be something that the Lord uses to inform our hope. Let the Scriptures inform your hope. Look at verse 4 down to verse 7. There it says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. One of, my, uh, most, one of the things I enjoy most about when we gather together for worship like we've done today is uh, opportunities that the Lord gives to us to sing together. Now, uh, I remember when I was a, a, a teenager, there was a season where I didn't like to sing in church. You know, I just didn't like to sing. I think there's just that kind of that natural insecurity sometimes you could go through at that stage, and so I would just awkwardly stand there during the singing and just wait for it to be done. And I remember my mother would look over at me and she's like, you know, sing. This is the part where we sing. And I'm like, no, nah, nah, I'm not going to be not going to be doing that today, mom, you know. And I would just stand there. And then I remember still while I was a teenager, uh, that was a season where the Lord really got a hold of my mind and really got a hold of my heart. And I started to realize, all right, these, you know, the songs that we would sing in my home church were not the songs I was listening to on the radio during the week, not even in the same style, right? But I remember when I'd gather together and I, with my brothers and sisters in Christ in that context, and I became so happy to be there. And I'd look around and I'd see my Sunday school teacher singing and I'd see this older gentleman that I looked up to singing, and I saw my pastor who couldn't sing doing his best. <laughs> he really couldn't, and he was expected to lead the singing, I kid you not. And um, he would kind of start us off and then step back from the microphone so that the mic wasn't picking him up. Um, but I got to a point where I was like, you know what? This may be an awkward thing sometimes for me, but I am just going to sing. And then I looked forward to it, and I, th I was thinking about that a little bit this week in looking at these verses, because it talks about this idea of having one voice. You know, that we have one voice. With one voice, we're praising the Lord, right? With one voice, we're joining together, and with one voice, we're praising the Lord. Earlier this week, by the way, I was listening to an album that I hadn't listened to in a while, um, and I, I thought, 
I thought, oh, this is good. And there's certain albums I like to listen to while I'm preparing my messages for Sunday. And so this was an album that I, I put on. I was like, I haven't listened to that one in a while. And so I had that in the background as I was working on today's message. And I was listening to it, and I thought, wow, this is really encouraging me. Encouraging me. And I, as I'm listening to it, I started to think, okay, why is this encouraging me so much? Why am I finding this so edifying? And when I analyzed the artist's words, when I thought about what she was saying, what she was doing was she was taking scriptural principles and she was putting them poetically together and then singing them out with, with heartfelt praise. And it was edifying me as I was listening to it. She was conveying scriptural truth and the Lord used it to speak to my heart. And when you look at a portion of scripture like I just read from Romans 15, it talks about how the Lord uses scripture to feed our hope. How He takes Scripture and He informs our hope. And He feeds our hope with this. We're told in Romans 15.4 that the Word of God was written to instruct us, it was written to encourage us, and it was written to produce hope in our lives. To instruct us, encourage us, and produce hope. Just think about that, by the way, as you go through this coming week. You know that there's going to be something this week that you find discouraging or difficult or something that maybe even challenges your ability to have hope. Will you think to open up the Scriptures or will, will you try and navigate that, that circumstance a different way? And you look at what the Scripture tells us here. It tells us that it was written to instruct us, encourage us, and produce hope in our lives. When we look at verse 4 of Romans chapter 15, the Scriptures are continually pointing us to Jesus. The Scriptures give us a glimpse into the heart and the mind of God. The Scriptures reveal the promises of God to us. And our hope grows strong as we watch Him fulfill what He has assured us of. And as the Lord uses His Word to foster hope within our hearts, well, at the same time, you, so, you know, if He's, let me say it this way, if He's using His Word to foster hope within your heart, and then at the same time, using His Word to foster hope within my heart, what we end up discovering is that we're growing in hope at the same time. You're growing in hope, I'm growing in hope, we're both growing in hope at the same time. And the Scripture, as it's speaking about this idea of harmony, it's talking about the fact that since we now possess that same hope, and we're growing in that same hope at the same time, we can enjoy harmony with one another. And since we're living in hope, and since we're living in harmony, we can also be intentional, as it also speaks here in this segment of Scripture, we can be intentional about welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. So if we're growing in the same hope and harmony at the same time, we can be intentional about welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. Now consider for a moment what that means. Because these statements are made here in this portion of Romans 15, but sometimes we read them too fast. Sometimes I read them too fast. Sometimes I look at these things and I, I give mental assent to them instead of letting my heart meditate on these things for a, a little bit longer. It's speaking about the fact that Christ has welcomed us and that we can welcome one another in the same way that Christ has welcomed us, that we can copy what He's done. Well, how has Christ welcomed us? How did Christ welcome you? How did He welcome me? Well, when you think about how He welcomed us, He welcomed us before we were cleaned up and while we had nothing to offer Him. So before I was cleaned up, before I had anything that I could offer Him, He welcomed me. 
He took us as we were. And then Scripture reveals to us that the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, to counsel us, and to sanctify us. So we came to God with filthy hands. Scripture reveals that He he washed, He graciously washed that filth away. And now Scripture even tells us that we are presented before Him as a bride without any stain, without any wrinkle, without any blemish, that that's how we're presented before the Lord. That He cleaned us up to that degree. Funny thing happened the day my wife and I got married. We got married that day. Uh, One of her bridesmaids spilled something on one of the bridesmaid dresses right before the wedding. Moments before the wedding. Thankfully, we were smart enough to just, it was Sprite. So it was an invisible, you know, soft drink, right? You know, it just looked looked wet, but the, the dresses were maroon, you know, and it was, it was spilled there, and so you can't, like, you're going to be in a whole bunch of pictures, you can't have a big wet stain on a bridesmaid's dress. So I remember standing with the group of men that were my groomsmen, and we were waiting for the bride to emerge, and for the bridesmaids to, to emerge, and we're waiting, and the wedding was supposed to start at one, and uh, it's now one, and no one came, and it's like, all right, now it's a couple minutes after one and no one came. Now it's 1.05. Nobody came. I was like, we did remember to lock the doors, right? After Andrea got in the building, she did not change her mind in this transaction here, right? At 1.10, everybody emerged. And then I found out afterwards what that 10-minute delay was. Well, that 10-minute delay had to do with drying off the Sprite that got spilled all over a bridesmaid's dress. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, when you look at you know, the totality of Scripture, it talks about the fact that the Lord cleaned us up, and He actually presents us not just as a bridesmaid, but He presents us as a bride without stain or wrinkle or blemish. All of these things, you know, the Lord tells us in His Word that He takes these things away. I love what we're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. So we were utterly helpless. There was nothing we could do about our condition. We were utterly helpless, and Christ came and died for us sinners. And then Scripture tells us in Ephesians 5, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Isn't it fascinating to think that that's the way that the Lord looks at you and me as we are in Him? Holy and without fault. And how do we know these powerful and refreshing truths? Why are we even talking about this right now? How do we even know this stuff? Well, we know it because the Lord revealed it to us in His Word. He revealed it to us in His Word. And through these Scriptures, what is He doing? He's informing our hope. He's instructing us, He's encouraging us, and He's fostering hope within us through His Word. And as He does this for you, and as He does this for me, this also fosters harmony among us. Something else the Scripture points out that I think is worth noting is this. 
We should understand when we're looking at this hopeful information from the Word of God that Christ is the confirmation of God's promises. Let me read some of the verses here that Paul speaks uh, in verses 8 down to verse 12 that talk about this, and let's talk about it for just a second after we read it. But it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So you see discussion there of of the Jews and the Gentiles, and this was obviously something directed to the church at Rome, because in their context you have uh, the the church at Rome built up of, of people from a Jewish background and a Gentile background that now were learning to understand that they had been made one body in Christ, just as we have been made one body in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, and Christ is the confirmation of God's promises. I noticed something this past week, and you've probably noticed this too, uh, those of you that are big Eagles fans, probably this catches your eye every time you see it. Uh, but I, there were two vehicles at different times throughout the course of this week that had stickers on the back of their car, could have been magnets, I guess, but either stickers or magnets highlighting Super Bowl 52. Now, will any of us in this room who are Eagles fans ever forget Super Bowl 52? Why will we never forget it? Well, because for our entire life, we look at this team... And we root for this team, and we get so close, and then at the end, something would happen, and we wouldn't finish it out. We wouldn't finish the season out. We would somehow either lose in the Super Bowl or lose in the playoffs, and we would always think, all right, we have such a promising team. We have such a good franchise. Why are we not sealing the deal? Why are we not winning the big game? But then, Super Bowl 52 comes, and it finally happens. Something that for my whole life, I've been looking forward to. Waiting and waiting and waiting for the day when the Eagles finally win the Super Bowl. And then, I'll tell you, as, as I was leaving here that morning, my daughter parked her car behind me. And um, we always do that. We kind of tuck them in the back just to make sure there's extra spots. So she parked behind me. I got in my car as I was leaving, thinking about the Super Bowl. And I put my car in reverse and backed up right into the front of her car. And I was like, what is my problem? Why am I doing this? And the reason I did this, because my, like, I couldn't, I was like out of my mind with excitement, because all day long I kept thinking, this is going to be the day. My whole life I've been waiting for this. This is going to be the day. And I, I know many of you felt that way that day too, where we thought, no, it happens today. Today we finally win this. Yeah, I smashed up my daughter's car. That's fine. As long as we win this game, thankfully there was like no damage, but, um, <laughs> but I was like, what have I done? I just backed into my daughter's car, but I was excited. And then they won. Then they won. And I'm sitting in, in, my, in my room or in my living room watching this and it happens. And then I'm standing in my, 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 the room there watching this. And then I'm wiping tears from my eyes as I'm watching this. And I'm looking around the room, and then I'm opening up 
the windows in our family room so that we could hear all our neighbors and everyone's screaming and people are blowing stuff up and guns are going off, but thankfully straight up in the air. And so we're like, all right, this is exciting. And then some of you showed up at my house later that night singing the Eagles fight song on my driveway at midnight. And so then I opened the windows up again and joined you and we sang the song together. And it wasn't weird to our neighbors because they probably were joining in too. And it was fun and it was enjoyable. We were looking forward to that for a long time. And it was a wonderful experience when it finally happened. The day came. It happened. We got to see it. Now, look at what this scripture says. And imagine living during the Old Testament era. And in all that time, you're being told that the day is going to come when the Messiah will come. When He will be sent. When the Son of God is going to come to this earth. And the patriarchs are being told about these things. The people are being told about these things. And you have Abraham told of the Messiah. You have Moses told of the Messiah. All these Jewish patriarchs are being glimpses and hints of Jesus as they awaited the day of His arrival for hundreds of years and hundreds of years and thousands of years. And they're told, the day is going to come. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. That day is going to come. And then the Messiah finally comes. And Scripture had revealed ahead of time, the Lord had revealed to the prophets that when the Messiah came, not only were those of the Jewish faith going to be blessed, but the Gentiles would also place their trust in Him. And that they would glorify God the Father for the mercy that He's shown us in sending His Son, Jesus Christ. Those promises were long-standing promises that went for generations and generations. You know, I had to wait a few decades. You had to wait a few decades to see our favorite team win. But for generations and generations, hundreds and thousands of years, people were waiting for these things to be fulfilled. And then Jesus came and He fulfilled the promises. And His arrival and His ministry, what they do, what He did, was confirm the truthfulness of God. He is the proof of the promises of God. He's the assurance of the accuracy of Scripture that all these things talked about for so many, many years now came to pass. And as we have common faith in Jesus Christ who is revealed to us in the Scriptures, again, harmony is fostered among us, among you and among me and among all believers as we have confidence in Jesus Christ whom the Scriptures have been pointing us to. And there's one other thing that this Scripture speaks of that I want to point out in regard to this idea of harmony. And that's this. It, it encourages us to experience the fruit of genuine faith. Look at verse 13. It says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so, by, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me read that verse again for us. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I was reading part of a book this week called Unfinished Business. And I want to read to you just a paragraph and a line from that book. But this is what it says. Now think about this. Put yourself in this context, okay? If this was your town, like this, this author is describing here. It says, One night at dinner, a man who had spent many summers in Maine 
fascinated his companions by telling of his experiences in a little town named Flagstaff. The town was to be flooded as part of a large lake for which a dam was being built. In the months before it was to be flooded, all improvements and all repairs in the whole town were stopped. Because what was the point of painting a house if it was going to be covered with water in six months? Why repair anything while the whole village was going to be wiped out? So week by week, the whole town became more, he says here, bedraggled, more gone to seed, and more woebegone. And then he added by way of explanation, and listen to this statement, I think it, it was a powerful statement that stood out to me, he says, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Meaning, they had given up hope on their town. And what happened? There's no faith in the future. There's no point in painting this house. I don't need to fix my plumbing in any real sense. I don't need to, you know, do I even mow the lawn this summer? I don't know. I don't, who cares, right? I'm not going to seal my driveway. You know, kids, you know that graffiti I told you not to put on the house? Have at it, right? Nobody cares. Because where there is no faith in the future, there is no hope or no power in the present, is what he said. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. In light of what we just read in God's Word, as you approach each day, now answer this to yourself here in a personal way. As you approach each day, do you do so as someone who has eyes of faith? Are you filled with joy, peace, power, and hope as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live within you and work in your life? If you're downcast right now, again, do me the favor and ask yourself the question, which direction are my eyes looking? If you're downcast right now, ask yourself the question, which direction are my eyes looking? Are you looking down at the ground, stuck in a defeated moment? Or can you see beyond your temporary circumstances with eyes of hope that actually are the product of genuine faith? When you look at how this portion of Romans 15 that we're, we're finishing with today, when you look at how it explains things and how it stresses things here, again, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our Lord has called us to abound in hope. We have the power of the resurrection living within us. And this is true for every single man or woman who has genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And so knowing that we have a common Lord, knowing that we have a common history, knowing that we have a common joy, and now also knowing, as it's described here in verse 13, that we have a common future, we can also experience the joy of living with a Spirit-empowered, common harmony. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be able to look at it together today and to meditate on these 
Scriptures, as you've revealed these things, as you've made these things known, as you've used them to teach us, instruct us, encourage us, produce hope in our lives, Lord, we're grateful for all of this. We're grateful, Father, that you have pointed us in the direction of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the new life that we have through your Son. And we pray that as we share this common faith, as we rejoice in what you revealed thousands of years before it happened, that we would be people who rejoice together and share this common hope together, and as we, as we rejoice and as we're hopeful, that we would also live in harmony with one another, as challenging as that may be. Lord, we know that by nature that this is not something that we're automatically going to drift toward. I think automatically we tend to drift toward division. But Lord, you were speaking to the Apostle Paul and through him to the church at Rome to encourage that church to mature in their faith and to grow in harmony. And these are words that have reached our eyes and ears as well so that we can see and hear them also. And that this kind of spirit, that this kind of attitude can be fostered among us as well. So we're grateful, Father, for this, this gift of being able to look at your word together today. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, who suffered on our behalf. And through whom we find salvation, we find eternal life, we find hope beyond anything that we endure right now. We're grateful for these things. We love you, Lord. And we commit ourselves to you today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to click the link to sign up right there on the front page of the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.